0: We are live. Yes. <laughs> episode, what is it, four? This is episode four. Uh, we have a
1: changed location, yeah. although we've done a few
0: different locations. A few different locations.
1: Um, normally we're in study rooms at the university and the library. Um, today we're in my bedroom
0: because they were all taken. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you to the listeners uh, from last episode. Uh, was it War and? Uh, it
1: was, um, was the title. The Emperor's New Clothes. War and Empire. War and Empire. Yeah. It's kind of two or three parts to the to the conversation.
0: Hopefully, you enjoyed it. Um. I don't know why I feel like there should be a joke now that somebody should say, but I don't have anything. That's okay. Sometimes
1: that happens. I'm Matthew Brown, and I'm with Athan Yannos.
0: Yeah. For new
1: listeners, anyone who hasn't been with us so far Um, Today, uh, I will be following on from the story that I told at the beginning of the last episode Um, If you are listening for the first time on this episode, um, do go back and listen to the first half an hour Um, That's where the story is Uh, It's The Emperor's New Clothes I will give a quick synopsis in a couple of minutes Um, This is the beginning of a a mini-series that we are going to be doing. Um, the reason why I told the story of The Emperor's New Clothes is because I, I started by saying that I believe I can see a problem in academia, um, and not, not just me, other people can see this too. And um, today I'm going to be making an overall argument for what that is, um, where I think we are, um, and where I think we can go. Um, The mini-series will consist of, uh, today I'm going to be making the overall argument, like I said, um, and then the episodes following, um, I'll be referring to um, books um, and texts um, to back up the arguments that I'm going to make today. Um, They will include uh, texts from the course content that we've been given, um, commitments the university has made um, to third-party organizations uh, and their material, um, as well as um, other texts and books um, to back up what I'm going to say. So I'm not going to ramble on too much. This is um, <clears throat> this is a speech that I've prepared. Uh, it's fairly long, so what I would like for us to do, Athen, yeah. um, is I have cut it into four or five sections. Um, so I'm going to read each section. We're going to take a, a couple of minutes to pause and reflect, and I'd like you to play the role of um, asking any clarifying questions you think need to be asked for anything I may not have been super clear about or anything that you think um, might need clarifying for anybody listening yeah. um, and also any, any questions you have as we go along, All right. um, just so that it isn't one big block of me talking and um, hopefully it's a, a bit more digestible. I can do that. Excellent. Fantastic. Okay, so... Without further ado... The introduction. I spoke in the last episode about a problem that I saw within academia. I told the story of the Emperor's New Clothes, where a vain king is tricked by two people pretending to be weavers to make a cloth that is invisible only to those who are foolish and who are unfit for their job. As nobody can see the supposed cloth, Everybody believes themselves a fool or unfit for their job, convinced that only they are unable to see the cloth. They pretend that it is real, so as not to be thought of as foolish or unfit. The weavers are paid handsomely, and a parade is held to demonstrate the emperor's new clothes. Everyone in the kingdom is convinced that they are, that they are alone, and so goes along with what they believe everyone else can see. Until a small boy cries, the emperor isn't wearing anything at all, The kingdom then erupts one by one, everyone yelling out the same. Now that they know that others see what they see, they do not feel the need to hide and pretend. The emperor, ashamed and humiliated, goes on with the pretense, for even now he must not look as if he is unfit for a job, unfit for his job or a fool. The problem that I liken to this story is one of institutional capture. Our educational institutions, particularly the humanities and social sciences, as well as the uh, administration, various administration branches, have been captured by a pervasive and destructive ideology that does not care about the quality of your education if you're a student, but instead is interested only in ensuring as many people as possible leave these institutions with a particular view of how the world is organised. Nor does this ideology care about the social issues it wants you to think that it cares about. I'm going to do my best to explain this and also suggest what we might be able to do about it. This is not only a problem for academia, but for everybody else too. Many of the ways we think about the world that we take as given and unquestionable have been constructed intentionally over several decades and distributed primarily through education, through the institution of education, to increase the numbers of people who share in these assumptions about the world. Many of these people go on to be educators, managers, politicians, and people in all walks of life. I've tried to keep the concept simple and understandable. Uh, Because this is a conversation largely taking place within academia, um, with some offshoots into popular culture, some of the jargon is technical, and if anything is not clear to anyone, or you think I have misunderstood something or misused the term, please do let me know so that I can clarify what I have said or correct for any mistakes that I make. Uh, I do not plan on doing prepared speeches often. Uh, After this, our exploration will be more organic as we go through text to back up my claims and try to get to grips with the topic. So I'm going to start with a warning and an explanation of the problem. A warning. I can see a danger, one that now seems obvious to me, though that was not always the case. This warning is applicable to all of the Sorry, Uh, This warning concerns all of the social justice causes, from food and animal justice, to racial and sexual identity justice, to climate justice, as these arguments are all, at least in some part, reliant on the same framework of how to think about the world. The warning is as follows. As a society, we have not learned what we needed to about identity-based prejudice and the human capacity for it, and many of us are acting as if we have... and that it it is everyone else, other people, who are holding everyone back by refusing to acknowledge their prejudicial role inside an oppressive system that they are assumed to be playing. Too many people believe that our entire society consists of systems and structures that are motivated by ideologies, by ideas, of white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, and cis-heteronormativity, etc. That last one being the idea that non-trans and straight people are the norm you may be familiar with the terms systemic foundational institutional and you may also be familiar with the expressions baked into society and in the fabric of society in relation to these very same ideas these are arguments that speak to the often implicit subconscious nature sorry the implicit subconscious nature of the biases and prejudices that allegedly arise from particular groups of people now i want to be clear When talking about institutional forms of oppression, I am not suggesting that such a thing is impossible. It is a matter of how we are defining institutional forms of oppression. There is the definition above that is, in essence, Marx's conflict theory, with ideas of oppressed classes and oppressor classes transplanted onto the various social justice issues of the day under the banner of intersectionality, essentially warring groups over access to power and privilege. Then there, is the diffi- uh, then, th- then there is the definition where an institution or a system has become corrupted by those who occupy and manage it, where those who are the corrupting elements can be identified, isolated and removed, where a culture, i.e. a habitual practice of intolerance and prejudice can be remedied and even resolved. The latter is the definition I take to be the case, and it may be the one that you, the listener, also takes to be the case. However, the former is what is often meant when the term is u- when these terms, um, when these terms are used. This argument, it seems obvious to me, is itself a prejudicial argument. It is a hypothesis, at best, on what the mind states are of an entire group of people, identified from other groups along the lines of race, sex, sexuality, class, etc. It is an argument reliant on the prejudgment, the assumption, of the thoughts and mental processes that an individual who belongs to a particular group can and will have, and this can be known about that individual as a consequence of having knowledge of the group that they belong to. In short, if an individual belongs to group X, then he will have A, B and C implicit mental states, or thoughts, about or towards members of group Y. And yet, this is an argument that is often the starting assumption when discussing social issues, and is popularly popularly defended by many people including academics, students, human resource staff and people at the pub and our friends and our family. The issue of identity prejudice is a human problem not a problem of one or some groups of humans and many of us have been convinced that this way of thinking is acceptable as a solution to previous issues of identity prejudice which it is not because in reality when you fight fire with fire all you end up with is more fire more of the same problem, not less of it. So I'd like to pause there first. Yeah. And turn it over to you with any uh, questions or or clarifying points.
0: If any. So the introduction to me is straightforward. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I get it. The emperor's new clothes. Um, everybody becomes encapsulated by this false idea. <laughs> um, and this is what's happening in academia, you argue. You um, you just say you're going to explain this. And then in a warning. All right. Um... I think it's very tough. Um, so we just—I cl- just want to clarify, please, yeah, point yeah. that you're making. When you say here, too many people believe that our entire society consists of systems and structures that are motivated by ideologies of white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, and cis mm-hmm. heteronormativity. Uh, uh, Etc., you may be familiar with the term systematic, foundational, institutional, and expressions baked in society, fabric of society in relation to these ideas. Um, these are arguments that speak to the often implicit subconscious nature of the biases and prejudices that originally arise from particular groups of people. Mm-hmm. Um, what What is exactly the point you're trying to make there? Because um, one like I think some people would would respond and say um and say that it it actually works the opposite way like um Well, okay. What what I what I mean is it correct me if I'm wrong, huh. but this you're saying that white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism and cis heteronormativity, number those people have viewed that as what the norm is now.
1: So the argument I'm making is that <clears throat> that there are People who believe right. that the organising principles of our society are, are those white supremacy, patriarchy, cis heteronormativity, and capitalism. As in, those are the um, ideas, um, both in way, independent from and also including the the people. Mm. Right? That those are the ideas that. Um, that activate, generate, or um, what's the right word to say for this? Um, that are fundamentally that,
0: ingrained into society.
1: yeah, exactly, baked into the fabric of society. That they are um, like fu- uh, foundational. That they're fundamentally mm. at the basis of our society. So every structure, every process, every system, every interaction. Within our society, as the argument is is made, um, white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism can be found there and is operating
0: at all
1: points throughout our society. Mm.
0: And so your point is to say that that's not the case.
1: Yes, I will, I will get to that. I'm going to be...
0: Okay. So I just want to make no, 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 clear one more time. Yeah. You're saying that the problem exists because we view these things, capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy, as being inherently, as you say, baked into our society. Um, that's kind of this inescapable. Well, not inescapable because they're gonna, but as you argue, what they're proposing is a way to escape it. But that
1: well, it's inescapable within the current organization. Of within society. the current
0: organization of society. Yeah.
1: Which, which I'm arguing is itself a prejudicial claim, because okay. the argument is that these ideas and ideologies are baked into the fabric of society, right, and that it includes all processes, all interactions, all behaviors, all systems and structures are motivated, let's say, or directed or activated by these ideas of white supremacy, patriarchy, and capitalism, and so on and so forth.
0: Okay. Alright, that okay. And then can you just um explain mm-hmm. a little more the second definition of institutional forms of oppression? Um
1: sure, the cause... one that isn't Marx is conflict theory. Yeah. Yeah. Um so that is the idea that to give an example uh, like a, a popular one let's take the police as an institution right, or a system right now it I'm not saying that it is impossible that um, an institution such as the police um, can become corrupted by ideas of say white supremacy right of course that can happen right of course you can have individuals or groups of individuals um, operating within the institution that is the police, either at lower levels or higher levels or at various levels throughout the institution.. Right. Um, now that's different than saying the organizing principle of the police is white supremacy. I get it. right So you can have a, a series of individuals, either higher ups or bands of, of people operating within an institution who are corrupted by these ideas. Right? And they can be acting as such that they excuse or permit horrendous behavior to happen towards people as a consequence of, of these ideas being present. Now, what, what, what can happen is that, well, as we've seen our society actually do, is hone in on the instances where that's happening, isolate the uh, corrupting elements and remove them and replace them. With uncorrupted elements, so you can take someone who is a proponent of white supremacy, let's say, as an example, and you can figure out that that's happening, and then remove them, and then you have less of that problem. Now, I know that isn't like easy because you could say, "Oh, well, it's, it's, it isn't necessarily always explicit," and you know, we'll,
0: um, but we'll, we'll, we'll get onto that in a little bit. Yeah, I guess. I guess the follow-up question is, what do you do? when people say, well, the ideas of, of white supremacy have leaked into all parts of institutions, institution, so the only way to really, you know, get rid of that is mm. by changing the whole the whole thing and replacing it with something else.
1: Well that's well that's that's the argument. The argument is it's the is system change, right? right? It's the entirety of the system that needs to change.
0: Right, Um, and I assume you're gonna argue later in this that that's not the case. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay. But, I mean, look, it's, yeah, no, I I, I will get onto that. Um... Sorry, two seconds, let me just clear my head quickly. I think the point I'm trying to make is that that claim that it is like it's the entirety of the of the system right, right. and the reason why i'm tying this to pre- like prejudice these arguments to prejudicial claims is because i don't think you can separate the institutions from people right I mean, i'm jumping ahead of myself here a little bit but um like if you take away the people you don't have it's institutions true. right so when you say it's the entirety of the system in its like, in its at its core, at its foundations, that is itself predicated or organized by ideas of white supremacy. I don't see how you could, I don't see how you can argue that you can detach that from human beings that are inherently involved in in these organizations.
0: Well, are you saying that that the institution is just like the institution is just, you know, really just a collection of the people. Like if you just it's just the, the identity of the institution is really just adding up all the identities of the people. Or no, I'm not I'm not talking about their their identity. No, but I don't mean identity in the sense like, you know, gender identity. Right. I mean like in the sense of like who they are. You know, who, who like an institu- a group, an institution of like I don't know, 500 people is really just the uh, like addition of mm. each of those 500 people or are you saying that or you're just saying that when you have like an institution of 500 people when you no longer have those 500 people the institution is not going to exist like we're...
1: yeah also, I'm, what I'm not saying is is that institutions aren't don't have organizing principles right I'm they do, clearly. You have a series of values and principles. Right. And those values and principles can be things like white supremacy. right? right? But what I'm pushing back against is the idea that um, systems like the police or the, our legal system is in its entirety predicated mm-hmm. on those ideas. right? And the, the, the degree to which they are and have been and can be can be remedied without the complete overthrow of and destruction of uh, an institution. I guess. I guess if I could liken this to like a like a human case, yeah. Right. You wouldn't treat a person like this, right? If a person, an individual person, had engaged in horrend- a series of horrendous behaviours of right. whatever they are, right, and then had put themselves through the processes of uh, acknowledging that they've done that, right? Obviously, not undoing it because you can't, um, and then going to extraordinary lengths to remedy that, right? And then, and look, and let, let's make this: say that person is uh, your child, right? Right. You would not, for the rest of that person's life, insist that the actions and the ideas on which they based their earlier actions constituted their entire being for the remainder of their existence and that what is the appropriate solution to their problem of having conducted themselves on the basis of the horrendous ideas that they did
0: is the dissolution of that person sorry say that one more time Cause, cause I, I, I had a hard time following at the that's end. okay so you i may have i may have modeled it up a bit but if that person was your child so but what it sorry so, this is somebody who's done something wrong in the beginning of their life.
1: Yeah. i was just to say, say, like, you have a child in their late teens, early 20s, right? They do something horrendous. Okay. Right. And they acknowledge that they've done something horrendous. They cannot undo the horrendous thing because it has been done. Right. right? And that individual then goes to extraordinary lengths, not only to recognize that what they've done is wrong, but to remedy it. And to ensure that such a thing never happens again right right now if this person was true your child right how you would not treat them going forward right you would not insist for the remainder of that person's life that they're that them at their core forever
0: tied to that horrendous thing
1: yes so that you, they are forever characterized by it right if you loved that person right now i get you could tell if i didn't know them people do this all the time people right you see people on the news do horrible things all the time and you wish death upon people. It's fine, right? But you wouldn't ever treat anybody that you loved like this. right? You wouldn't ever say, no, you are forever characterized by that horrendous thing that you once did a long time ago. No. And it's irredeemable and there's nothing that you can do. And the only thing that could resolve it is your dissolution. You would never say that to someone that you loved. Fair. And so I don't see why if we are if if the claim is is that we're a society in which we should be socially aware right and you know the and like and i'm not uh, and and we should come together uh, as a collective to resolve the problems that we have right well right. like how how the hell are you making that kind of argument at the same time that you're insisting that the only remedy is the dissolution of a society yeah so i don't i don't see why there's a there is a double standard there is ultimately the point is the distinction I'm okay. making let's, let's continue um, thank you for those questions by the way yeah <clears throat> uh, a brief and incomplete history excuse me in the 20th century coming out of the Frankfurt School in Germany the Marxists of the time, who referred to themselves as critical theorists following on from Marx's critique of society, were trying to figure out why it was the classless and stateless utopia hadn't manifested itself. It never occurred to them that it might have something to do with their assumptions about reality, but we will, we will come back to that. They decided that the Marxist focus on economics wasn't going to do the job, and so shifted into the social and cultural realm to try and seize the means of cultural production instead of seizing the means of material production Um, and this was done or this would be done through the means of uh sorry i'm going to start that paragraph again i've misread this they decided that the focus on economics wasn't going to do the job and so shifted into the social and cultural realm to try and seize the means of cultural production instead of material production uh, as a as a means of redistributing power and privilege by appropriating it from one group and redistributing it to others. In short, revolution and liberation from liberal civilization was now to be achieved by destabilising liberal societies through the agitation of the culture, with a focus on particular domains that is education, family, media, law and religion. People like Antonio Gramsci wrote about this. This has been... The explicit aim and practice of critical theorists for at least the last 60 years. They have infiltrated a great many of our institutions with a particular focus on education, the infrastructure of which is to be used as a means of raising the consciousness of students to the alleged reality of systems and structures of oppression and the ideologies that materially, culturally and socially determine the outcomes in society this is asserted and assumed to be the case and never demonstrated with any evidence other, than the, other than, than the existence of unequal outcomes in society. In order to be anti-racist, feminist or otherwise an ally to social justice movements one must become aware of this reality of oppression, aware of your position as either a member of an oppressed class or an oppressor class and aware also of your role in resisting this reality. Uh, Many examples of these arguments can be found in the course content at the University of Edinburgh, of which you and I have had particular experiences of. Uh, A quick aside, well, not so quick, Um, unequal outcomes are a problem that I take very seriously, so I'm not being dismissive when when I said what I said before. I genuinely believe that we have the capacity to drastically improve people's lives both materially and in a more meaningful sense and that we can do so relatively quickly and at relatively little expense, compared to the cost of the loss of, or irreparable damage to, our society. However, unequal outcomes alone are insufficient as evidence to conclude that discrimination, motivated by prejudicial attitudes, cause the outcomes, institutional or otherwise. Prejudicially motivated discrimination is certainly a hypothesis that should be on the table when considering unequal outcomes, But when you are confronted with any complex system, there will be many contributing factors. And as we have spent decades with a laser focus on minimising explicit and implicit prejudicial biases and incidents of discrimination, I believe it is likely that the outcomes that displease all of us are caused by uh, a myriad of other complex factors. I encourage you to check out the Sewell Report, that is the Race and Ethnic Disparity Report, that was published in 2021, I believe May. These other factors are ones that we haven't spent decades with a laser focus on, gradually running into the downside of the law of diminishing returns after making tremendous amounts of progress to begin with, which has been the case with prejudicially motivated discrimination. If we turned our attention to these other various factors, we could take advantage of the same law of diminishing returns. My hypothesis is this. If we turned our attention to the other various Sorry, to the various other causal factors we could make compounded progress on various fronts over a relatively short period of time at a relatively low cost consider weightlifting as an example for this when you first start training consistently you have to put in effort and resources and the return on that effort come quick and fast to begin with your strength increases relative to your starting point allowing you to lift tens of kilos more than you could to begin with as your training progresses the gains that you make will start to plateau It will require greater effort and resources to achieve smaller amounts of progress where you are adding 0.25 of a kilo every two weeks rather than say five kilograms over the same period when you first started. Imagine having spent six months training only one muscle group then turning your attention to the various other muscle groups where you then make the same quick and fast progress in multiple areas before eventually reaching a plateau. We have been focused on one muscle group, that is, prejudicially motivated discrimination, that demands an ever-increasing cost, that seems to be taking the form of social reorganisation to make ever-decreasing increments of progress that will eventually lead to regression if it hasn't already. So I am not dismissive of unequal outcomes, we have to take them seriously, and asserting that they are caused by only one thing, prejudicially motivated discrimination, makes it hard, for me, to believe that those who assert this are taking the issues as seriously as they deserve to be taken. Uh, at the end of that quick aside and the end of that section.
0: Um, I don't have a whole lot of uh, questions about this. Mm -hmm. Um, So just the first part was the Frankfurt School Critical Theorists. Mm -hmm. Um. And they were trying to figure out why the uh, communist society that Marx laid out in his manifesto didn't take place, Mm -hmm. and and so they realized it was uh, economic. You know, economic suppression was not the main. Was not going to be the the way to get there or not the only way to get there. So like you said, they shifted to social and cultural, Mm -hmm. uh, to try to figure out, you know, why, why we weren't there yet. Um, I don't have enough, you know, knowledge of history to be able to, to really, uh, you know, well, we're gonna dispute be, or confirm any of those. We're going to be going into plenty of detail in the right. in the coming episodes. So, um, and then, all right. The interesting part, I think, is the quick aside that it wasn't really that quick. No, no, I don't know why I called it that. Um, I also
1: appreciate it's, maybe it's a little out of place. Maybe that's a point I could have made separately. But I think it. I think it's
0: fine. Um, what i take to be argument is it is true that within different groups of society there are unequal outcomes yes right so for example you know uh white males on average have better outcomes than let's say black females right I'm just taking, you know,
1: Yeah, yeah. That's what we want we want. So
0: um and what you're saying is Mm -hmm. you're yes, those you know, those unequal outcomes exist. Yes. Uh but just looking at you know, racial or patriarchal prejudice Mm -hmm. with society is not going to get us to fixing those Outcomes, right? There's a m- ton of other issues uh, that are causes for those unequal outcomes, mm-hmm. and we're only looking at one small factor, and that we can focus. Well,
1: just just to chime in, yeah. at one point that would have been not so small a factor, right? And like it would have been a a much
0: a much bigger factor. yeah yeah.
1: So if, so just as an example, if you were to take the uh, say just the uh, the outcome that you gave us as, as an example, yeah. Um, and let's just to simplify it. Let's say that there are ten causes, right, of varying degrees, uh, that cause the outcome. Say sixty, say fifty, sixty years ago, right, the uh, identity prejudice uh, that motivates discriminatory behaviour would have been, say, <clears throat> what's like, I'm just going to throw a number out randomly, like seventy percent of the cause, right, contributing to, like a huge chunk. Of towards the unequal outcome because there was genuine arbitrary discrimination on the basis of identity prejudice. Right. Right. That was happening and that was obviously a problem. Um, now, while there at the same time would have been other things happening, right, that would have contributed to those unequal outcomes, right, comparison to the problem at the time of identity prejudice the resulting in discrimination, that drastically outweighed the other causal factors, right? Now, like I said a second ago, we've spent the last 60 years, right, at least since the the end of the civil rights movement, right, just with a laser focus on being like, we're not doing this anymore. As much as possible, we aren't doing this anymore, right? It's like you can't escape the conversation, right? So my point is, is that given that we've spent that much time Right? And I, I, I don't think I don't think it's reasonable for anyone to suggest that we are anywhere near in the a position that we were in in terms of how we treat each other as people racially than where we were 50, 60 years ago. I think the amount of progress that we have made is while imperfect, right And there's obviously problems still we've made a tremendous amount of progress and the quality of people's lives who say historically would have been oppressed and mistreated horribly while you can say yes there are unequal outcomes and maybe some things aren't going as well as they should be right the 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 quality of these people's lives is drastically improved on what it would have been had they have been alive as they are now 50 60 years ago right and so given that the where we are today is in that position where we've drastically reduced the influence of that particular causal factor, right, those other nine causal factors, right, which we haven't been paying attention to, right, we haven't, right, because as, right. Soon, as you, soon as you, you know, as you know, soon as you try and point to any other causal factor, you're blaming the victim, you're trying to distract the conversation away from race, right, you're, you're, you're not helping, you're making things worse. Right. So we haven't been paying attention to those other causal factors, and what I'm saying is, is well, maybe we should. And if we did, you know, given, like I said, with the... And, this, and this, that was a hypothesis, by the way. I haven't done a huge amount of research into the law of diminishing returns. This is of a very, very... Like, I haven't given a tremendous amount of time into thinking about this. I'm, I'm going to in the future. So obviously, anyone wants to come back at me on this, please do. Um, my hypothesis is is that, well, given that when you start an endeavour and you put resources and effort into that endeavor, you make a lot of progress really quickly, mm. right? And that then plateaus the more effort and resource and time. And we should, my hypothesis is that we, I think we should be taking advantage of the first the first part of the law of diminishing returns. That when you try something, if you understand a problem and you approach it sincerely with the, you know, like, trying to understand it as best as you can and then applying appropriate solutions to it, right, that you will make, my, my argument is, is that we will make, we could make, um, like I said, compounded gains on many fronts relatively quickly and at a relatively low cost. All right. I'm not saying it'll be easy. I'm not saying it'll be cheap. Excuse me. <clears throat> but I'm saying it would be easier and cheaper than, like, pumping all of our resources, energy, and attention into the one causal factor that we've spent 60 years trying to fix, right, because we're like, it's like we, we, you will, you will, we will burn ourselves out.
0: And what do you, what if somebody said, mm-hmm. well, all of the other factors are linked to this one factor, so when you get rid of this one factor, all the other factors. Go away, as well. Uh, so,
1: so I say, just make it more concrete. If you if you get rid of the, the racial the prejudice. The, the prejudice factor, yeah, like all the other causes will disappear.
0: Yeah, well, because they're, they're all linked to the racial prejudice factor. So, like, by eliminating the racial prejudice factor, you thereby eliminate all of the other factors. I can I can
1: see. The first part where you'd say, so I I had a I had a I did this on a graph. I'm not might not be able to remember this exactly, but so let's take the example of say Black Afro Caribbean boys in the UK are oh, something like nine times more likely to be expelled from school than their white counterparts. Mm-hmm. Right? now, you could start that and you could say, well, that's down to uh, racial prejudice on the part of the teachers and the headmasters, because they're the ones making the decisions about who does and who doesn't remain at school. Or you
0: could say it's a product of their, their, you know, their, their position in society and their, you know, their poverty and and um, you know the way their unequal access to resources that have been caused by you know centuries of racial. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so you can you can take every single one of those. So you could take the racial prejudice one, and you could say, okay, well, we've done a great deal of work towards that. And as you've just said, okay, well, there are these other causes, and that you so you like you said, let's so so another one of the causes might be um, access to resources or, or whatever, right? And that that then that cause itself then becomes a A circumstance which itself has been caused, right, because these things, this is going to get stupidly complicated quite quickly because, right, right? because every single one of these causal factors, right, you could separate from the original instance and it itself becomes a thing that has been caused by a various series of other causal factors that have contributed to that thing as an outcome say lack of access to resources and you could say well racism's contributed to the lack of access to resources and i will say the same thing i said a second ago is is that yes it will be one of the things that has contributed to that as an outcome there will be many other things that have contributed to that as an outcome right and so and like this this obviously this look this is this is these are hugely complex situations so every single one of these can be broken down it isn't just like outcome block racial prejudice done right right that's never going to be that simple mm-hmm. right and so you can take every single one of these outcomes break it down into its causal factors to the degree that you could do that you can then isolate those causal factors and then break it down into the degree to which it's been caused by a various by uh, by loads of other factors and you can, you can, you can keep doing that right and so if, if at every point in time you say we even get past that first point right and you have this insistence that it's bring it back to the to the the racial prejudice right it's again right absolutely a hypothesis that should be on the table because the, the degree to which that is what's causing these problems it needs to be remedied and isolated and figured out as quickly as freaking possible well, i am not saying that that is shouldn't be something that we're doing right? but what i'm saying is is that when you insist that that is the only thing that is happening you are going to be wrong and you are you are you. And if this is a cause that you are supposedly deeply concerned about and wanting a remedy to, you have to take this problem as seriously as it deserves. And you do everybody a disservice when you don't. Mm. In my opinion.
0: Okay, let's move to. Um overview of where we find ourselves today
1: okay so yeah as you said this is uh the next section is an overview of where we find ourselves and how this is analogous to the emperor's new clothes i think that most people have a genuine and sincere desire to see improvement not only in their own lives but in other people's lives in a material sense a material economic sense as well as wishing for people to find a greater sense of meaning and purpose in the world. I think that this genuine sense of goodwill is being taken advantage of by people, with a particular political aim, who are not interested in improving the quality of lives of people within the society we live in, but instead are convinced that the only way to improve the quality of people's lives is to liberate all peoples from this society. The same people who are proponents of these this idea, um, are increasingly present in positions of power and authority, including in our government, our civil service, our health services, our universities, our schools, our human resource departments, and many others. However, it is complicated. Many people who believe these ideas would and do defend them while being almost entirely unaware, if not entirely unaware, of the theoretical foundations and history of the ideas where they come from many believe that these ideas are simply the natural progression of the civil rights movement and that these are the arguments for justice in our time and who would not want to involve themselves in such a thing that is how these ideas are presented in substance however and i do take no pleasure in saying this they are a shallow justification for prejudices that the authors of these work that these of these works harbor prejudices that became unacceptable in a liberal society, and so seemingly complex and intricate arguments were constructed over 60 years not only to cynically critique a culture, but to simultaneously rationalise the acceptability of prejudices against certain identity groups. For example, academics using fancy philosophical analytical tools analytical, that was, sorry, uh, to think about how terms such as race and gender might be used by critical Marxist theorists for anti-racist and feminist political purposes. That was Sa- uh, Sally Haslanger in our in our philosophy course, which we will come back to on a future episode. Or another example, arguing an epistemology that members of oppressor groups who do not believe the testimony, the speech, of someone from an oppressed group uh, must have done so because of identity prejudices that members of the first group the oppressor group tend to have about members of the oppressed group and that this can be known to be the case because of this person's membership to the oppressor class or more commonly that because of the power and privilege differentials between groups you cannot be racist to white people you cannot be sexist to men you cannot be heterophobic to straight people etc again arguments all made while making wild assumptions about the character qualities mind states and moral values Of a person because of a group that they belong to these assumptions are then used to justify differences in treatment see section 159 of the equality act 2010 on positive action this prejudicial view of the world that justifies and excuses difference in treatment on the basis of identity this is the special cloth that the pretend weavers have tricked everyone sorry that the the pretend weavers have tricked everyone into pretending they see the emperor, taken with himself on his clothes and neglectful of his duty, has called for the production of the fanciful cloth so that he can see who is unfit for their job and who does not belong in the kingdom, only to reveal himself as unfit and a fool, though one that goes on pretending all the same. Academia is the emperor. The critical theorist scholars are the pretend weavers. Some members of the faculty and administration are the wise man and the court advisors. The students other members of the faculty, and the everyday man are the people of the kingdom, none of whom wish to be seen as foolish or unfit for their job. They do not wish to be seen as someone who is blind to the supposed self-evident reality of the systems of oppression that surround them. They believe that everyone around them can see it, even though on the face of it, it seems like racial prejudice, it seems like sexual prejudice. If you were in their position, you might think, well... I guess if everyone can see that it isn't prejudice, and this is the evolution of the civil rights movement, well, I cannot be seen as the kind of person who would resist such a thing. To do so would be considered by others who can see what I cannot, as racist, sexist, bigoted, transphobic, homophobic, when I'm certain that I am not. However, no one must know that I cannot see the special cloth. No one must know that I think these arguments are themselves prejudicial, I must be seen to be fit for my good job. I must not be seen to be a fool or a bigot.
0: Is that the end of the section? Yes. Okay. I have one question. Please. What if people Mm -hmm. who, like you said... Um. say well I guess if everyone can see that this is a prejudice and this is the evolution of the civil rights movement I cannot be seen as the person who would resist such a thing to do so would be considered by others racist, sexist, bigoted, transphobic oh, phobic, yep. and I'm certainly not Um. and what you're saying is um what you're saying is that they are getting that, you're likening that to the new cloth that the weavers are supposedly weaving and that everybody, you know, buys into. Oh, I can see the cloth. It's so amazing because they don't want to look like the idiots mm-hmm. who can't see the cloth. Um, and so people who maybe don't, you know, agree with this position that it isn't racial prejudice, like, I don't want to seem like the the homophobe the sexist the, the bigot the uh, the transphobe who right who see who thinks that this is uh, prejudice um, what do you say to people who would say well maybe the fact that I um, I thought that this was prejudice is my like is me being racist or something or my inherent you know transphobic or homophobic you know nature and so I need to like change that about myself and so I'm accepting you know hmm. these people who uh seem to, you know, follow this other argument and see it another way. And, you know, you, who play in exactly to what you said, you know, they see themselves, they think, Oh, I'm the race. You know, this is me. Um, you know, people like who specifically people who are, you know, like, uh, you mentioned in the beginning, white, straight, Mm -hmm. um, Uh, you know Christian Mm -hmm. you know whatever waspy you know men right who think well to me this seems like prejudice but perhaps that's just my own you know racism and you know I've been growing up in a world that you know racism exists and you know racism is everywhere and so maybe that's just filtered into my own thoughts and my own being. So uh you know me seeing this as prejudice uh, you know, is, is a I guess okay racist but you know sort of sort of Yeah, so I'm so so someone who would say um the fact that sorry, hang on. The fact that I don't agree that these positions are... Right, right. So so, so right. So the racist. fact that I don't
1: see that it's prejudice is a consequence of my own inherent prejudice, essentially. Or my own inherent
0: race, racial... Well, not the fact that I don't see it as prejudice. The fact that I do see it as prejudice. Right, sorry. Like, see these, you know, positions like critical race you know, that you're saying critical theory. Mm -hmm. The fact that I do see these positions that critical theorists are making... As prejudicial. Right, I see, I see. You know, is a... uh, The fact that you see it as
1: prejudicial is uh, because of your inherent privilege and... And
0: homophobic and racist... Right, right, okay.
1: Yeah. Well, I would say you don't have one, right? You're a human being, for crying out loud. You're not inherently racist inherently sexist you know, inherently transphobic right we do have biases right the, the, I, i'm not super familiar with the literature but the the implicit bias studies that have been done um that measure uh from any from a given stimuli uh, biases along identity lines right and because it measures them at sort of like something like, like like the nanosecond or millisecond i think millisecond probably it, it measures the, the 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 bias response at the millisecond right but what it does but, but what the what the data also shows obviously anyone correct me if i'm wrong about this but is is that while there are biases and again like this these are it isn't you're white so therefore you have biases or you're male so therefore you have biases you're a human being so therefore you have biases right and or you're prone to prejudice like I said at the beginning it's, it's a human problem not a white problem or a male problem or a straight problem right, right? so the fact that if you were to say oh well I the fact that I see this as prejudicial is a consequence of my inherent biases as a white man so you don't have any inherent biases as a white man you have inherent biases as a human being but you know you pointing out something that seems pre- like it like it, it, there isn't it isn't like a i think correct me if i'm wrong but like you you're saying that someone would suggest that there's like a, a different rule for whether or not something's prejudice if you're looking at it as a as a white person or a non-white person which again, in in and of itself, is a is a is a discriminatory claim on the basis of right. group membership, right? If that if that answers your question, and also and also and also there's a there's a you know, but there's, there's a there's a there's a lot of, like I said, there there are people who have a genuine sense of goodwill and, and want for improvement, right? And also, I didn't mention this, a genuine sense of guilt. Right, many many people, right, and like unsurprisingly as well, right. It's like, like you you're born into a society. You know, I think this is thrownness in existential philosophy, right? You're thrown into a society. You just dropped. Here, you didn't choose to be here. You just born here. You are, right, and you're confronted with all of this horrible stuff that has happened not that long ago, right? Some of it long ago, some of it not so long ago, right? right? And you're horrified by it right it's like waking up one morning and you know realizing that you've been on a rampage for the last three years and you've not really been you know and now all of a sudden you're like oh fuck oh no like oh my god and then and obviously that's the same person but you know the people feel a tremendous amount of guilt for what's happened right and even though they had nothing to do with it mm-hmm. right and, and i think it's admirable right that people are like oh wow because like, you know it's all the alternative is like well you don't care it wasn't us, or whatever right which I, and I know some people take their positions and that's absolutely fine but the fact that many people are like no i feel gen like i feel genuine genuinely horrible right i feel like i care it's a human being right and like their ancestors and there are there are effects that still happen right there are these things don't just go away right there are there are um consequences of trauma right you know like i said we're like we're talking 60 years ago like 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 pe- pe- people who are still alive today were alive in the 1970s and 80s when sus law in the united kingdom was still a thing right where you could just be stopped by the police because you were black right, right? and they could plant drugs on you just because you were black right like that like that and living in that kind of environment and then moving forward, just, even if it changes, right? 1984 was the Police and Criminal Evidence Act that did away with many of that, and so it isn't like like old oh, problem solved, jobs are good, and, right. There's, there's, of course, there are still implications that happen, and, if, and people feel they're human beings, Yeah. right? They're like, oh, like I, I feel I feel bad about that, right? And it's not a it's not a bad thing necessarily,
0: but like I said, I, I think it's being taken advantage of just to, to bring it back to like the emperor's new clothes, like what do you say to people who are generally afraid that there is a cloth, you know, so to sp- so to speak that mm. they're not seeing. And so, I don't know. Let's say, let's say that the cost of not, of, you know, Um, pretending like well okay the cost of like denying that there's a cloth when there might be a cloth is much greater than the cost of just going along as if there's a cloth Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, at least in the short term at least in the short term Um, even if you're not entirely convinced or have no reason to believe that there is Except from other people's testimony. What's the
1: question, sorry?
0: Well, what do you say to the people? Like, what do you say? I mean, how what's the way to address their concerns when they say, well, you know, um, maybe I don't see how this is a big problem. Okay. But or I I don't see how critical theory is helpful, how it helps, but there seems to be this wave of it where a lot of people are saying this is the answer, and I don't want to be left behind. I don't want to be, you know, um, shunned from society because I don't see this, and so I'm just gonna, you know, the consequence of me, you know, just going along with it and being one of, you know, a part in this you know, wave or sheep herd mm. uh, is much less than the potential of me going against it and being wrong.
1: Well, I, I would say that the, the... the cost of going along with it isn't as little as you think. Because you... you have an experience... Right, whereby you, you, I, I can't see what you're talking about, or I don't think I see what you're describing, or the solution that you're putting forward to the problem looks like prejudice to me. Right, it seems like identity prejudice. Mm-hmm. Right, and you're saying that it isn't. Okay, and so now I, I'm in a position where I can, in, like, hold my position because I can't see it. Right, or I can I can I can see that it's prejudice or i you know and look and, and there's there's a, there's an there's an element of humility involved in this as well because, because most people would think as well you know i'm i'm an idiot i'm probably wrong and like at least and, you know these people sound like they know what they're talking about and they they're in academia for crying out loud they write books and there's journals and conferences and you know this like there's it's quite possible that they've understood something that I haven't understood, and so you do have your, you you have your reasons for going along with it, but you betray yourself when you say I'm going to dispense with what it is that I think I can see, even though no one has actually dissu- dissuaged me of that's not the right words, sorry, But no one's no one's convinced me that. I'm wrong and that there's actually prejudice but because I don't want to be seen as a racist I don't want to be seen as a sexist I don't want to lose my job right? I don't want to be I don't want to get into an argument right? so I'm, I'm just I'll keep my head down I'll just go along with it I'll say what I need to say I'll go to the meetings I'll you know whatever sign, sign whatever it is because it's easier right. it's like that's easy now it won't be because at some point they'll cross a line that you won't want to cross and then you'll have spent however long practicing going along with it, and you'll have a real hard time saying no when
0: you need to. That's fair. That's a good that's a good response. Um alright. Next one. Final section. Is this the final section? Nah, one of the final
1: sections. Oh There's three more. There's <laughs> Can
0: we take a Pause yeah, of course. The... Yeah, absolutely. All right, and we're back from the short pause. Excellent.
1: Okay. Um, <clears> the <throat> section is called uh, "In Defense of the Position," and then a rebuttal. Ultimately, all of this theorizing, strategizing, implementation, and adoption of the critical theorist's social endeavors arises out of a genuine desire for a widespread fairness. Given our society's capacity to generate wealth, and our technological and philosophical advancements, many people who are taken by the ideals of critical theorists cannot understand why we are yet to arrive at this widespread fairness. In principle, it seems like something that could happen, and it would be nice if it did happen. So if it is assumed that it could happen, and it isn't happening, then it must be that This is because someone, or many people, are intentionally preventing it. And given our uh, equal intrinsic moral worth as human beings, making none of us inherently more valuable than the other, if it is the case that someone is preventing this widespread fairness from happening, when it could happen, then this is a moral violation, as the lives of some have been arbitrarily valued over and above the lives of others, and this cannot stand. I think anyone with half a heart can empathise with this sentiment. However, there is one problem. If you keep trying to achieve this seemingly noble goal, then you will break society before getting anywhere near it. The amount of control required to arrive and remain at such a state of fairness would exhaust our resources, presuming this this is an entirely well-meaning endeavour with minimal corruption and greed. This meaning that the means of achieving this noble goal will become increasingly unsophisticated and brutal if people cannot be coerced into surrendering their possessions and what remaining liberty they have while the resources are plentiful. If people are to be free to pursue the path of meaning that suits them, then people can never wind up with similar outcomes. Individuals will be pulled in different directions, with some patterns emerging due to similarities in temperament and interest, as well as culturally habituated attitudes and behaviours. The former, temperament and interest, being fixed with a minimal possible degree of movement, the latter uh, is often habituated over generations, though is far more malleable if the will to make adjustments in one's cultural attitudes and approaches is present. Few places are open to such things as the British and those in the West have been, who who have offered up their culture for improvement, having acknowledged failings of attitudes, and have been told instead that there is no longer such a thing as their culture. It must, in its entirety, become something that it is not. When people behave differently, for whatever the reasons they behave differently, it is incredibly unlikely, if not impossible, for their outcomes to be the same, because they aren't doing the same things. So why would the same thing happen to two different people doing different things? In short, trying to bring about and maintain a widespread fairness would require the abandonment of liberty, as people cannot be trusted to choose for themselves because they choose wrong and unfair things happen. And remember, we aren't even talking materially anymore, or economically, we're talking socially and culturally. What would it even look like? to try and appropriate alleged cultural privileges and redistribute them. What might such an attempt do to all people? What harm might be done to society and those in it, as these cultural privileges are wrenched from our liberties and social infrastructure where they supposedly lie? What amount of impossible oversight and ultimate knowledge of the world would you need to pull off such an act, where society is artificially forced into a situation that an incredible minority of intellectual know-it-alls have decided to be the appropriate path forward, abandoning the more organic manifestation of society under the rubric of minimal necessary force to guide its development and mitigate for its failings. None among us are gods. The knowledge and oversight required to achieve this is not within human reach. Would you like me to continue, or?
0: Um, Just as a point of clarification, you're saying... um, That it's impossible to strive for, for like, universal equal outcomes because we're all different and we're not going to make the same choices or do the same things or have the same... uh, decisions about what we choose to do yes and so by virtue of that um we shouldn't expect for there to be equal outcomes because different choices different actions are going to lead to different outcomes
1: yeah yeah i was like to, to give an example you could take say um a family of four right four children two two parents Right. right Now those four children Let's say they're all born within Like within four or Five or six years of each other right? right So all relatively within the same Same Sort of decade um, They're born into The same household With the same access to resources With the same love From the parents Right And The same attention And You don't even find equal outcomes Within people's families so every single one of those children will grow up even though they've had access to the same resources the same roof over their head the same love from the same parents right and all of those people in that family will go off and do different things right and they will wind up with different outcomes some of them may have done tremendously well some of them may do tremendously poorly and it will be because of not just because of those initial conditions but also because of who those individuals are. So because of the sorry. Go
0: on. So is what you're saying the goal is not equal outcomes but the goal should be equality of opportunity. Exactly. I was going to say equal opportunity to make any decision or choose any path that you would like. Yes,
1: yeah. But there's 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 a problem because if you if you opt for equality of outcome, you can't have a quality of opportunity. And if you opt for a quality of opportunity, you can't have a quality of outcome, because, like I said, a quality of opportunity, because people aren't people, people within, say, groups, racial, sexual, or whatever, because they aren't all the same, because they're different, even though they can be characterised as belonging to the same group, they're all different individuals, right? With different interests, different desires and wants and wishes and circumstances, right? If you give every single one of those people Right? just the highest amount of access to opportunity that you can they will all still go off and do different things and they will not have the same outcomes as
0: each other that seems logical to me uh, why don't we move along ahead to yeah, the sure. next section <coughs> excuse me Okay. I'm going to do these
1: last two in one because the uh, last one's just quite short Okay, going forward. Excuse me. <clears throat> uh, what I will be doing, what we will be doing going forward, um, to back up what I have just said, um, is to begin with uh, reading from Isaac Gottsman's The Critical Turn in Education, subtitle is from Marxist critique to post-structuralist feminism to critical theories of race. Uh, I will then read the first chapter of Charles Pincourt's counter Craft, Uh, a field manual for combating the woke in the the university and beyond. Uh, This will give an account of the arguments from a proponent and a critic of critical theory for the sake of balance. I will use both of these texts to justify my classification of certain actors within the institution with the characters from The Emperor's New Clothes. Once I have done this, Uh, We will then turn to the content that we have been given on the course and other books and texts, going over the arguments and drawing connections to the work of critical theorists, um, both in cases where the author is explicitly engaging in critical theory and in instances when that is more subtle. My intention for this series uh, is to bring to your attention, uh, the students of the University of Edinburgh and those interested in what is happening in the classroom, um, my intention is to bring to your attention, the theoretical context that the lecturers and tutors are omitting from their treatment of the material. I do not know if this is because they are aware of the context and are omitting it intentionally for whatever purpose, or if they are unaware of the context and are taken by the presence of social justice rhetoric that has convinced them of the quality of these texts. Neither of these outcomes is desirable, however for the time being it does not matter which it is. Most importantly, students ought to be made aware of the full context of the scholarship in order for them to make an informed decision on whether to give assent to ideas that they may already be defending that are being asserted and glossed over as if they are indisputable facts. I also wish to speak out to the Rector and the Vice-Principal of the Ed- of the University of Edinburgh, Miss Deborah Cambe and Professor Peter Matheson, respectively. Uh, both of whom I've been in contact with and made the same argument to on multiple occasions and have so far been largely ignored in spite of commitments that they themselves have made to their own standards to take such claims extremely seriously and to deal with them in good time and with due sensitivity, of which I have received and seen no evidence of such conduct from those who run this institution that we have turned to for an education and also turned to for an example of how best to conduct ourselves as human beings. The emperor has no clothes on. I say it again. The emperor has no clothes on. I will not stop saying these words until this poison has been removed as a practice from this institution. However, I offer you my forgiveness and a way back into the fold of those who wish to seek actual progress in search of truth and positive change for all. I offer you also my defence against those who would wish to see you removed from your stations for this betrayal of your duties as educators. All I ask in return is that it is acknowledged by yourselves that what I have said today is accurate, or that you come back to me, as I have asked of you before, with the reasons why it is that I am mistaken in my assessment. And also, to any critical theorists and their proponents that might be listening, imagine what you could have achieved. If over the last 60 years you would turn that great intellectual power that you and your comrades clearly have to understanding the complexities of our world and improving the lot of those you claim to care so much about, nobody has been preventing you from doing that. The immense effort that has gone into cynically criticising a civilization could have been put towards healing rather than towards the seething hatred that I read in your works. I offer you too forgiveness and a way back in, as well as my defence against those who may hold a grudge against you even if you choose a better path. If it is recognition and appreciation for your efforts you seek, we can offer you those. You just have to meaningfully solve some of the problems that we have first, which I know you are capable of. Something to think about. It does not always have to be war. Finally, a positive vision. Having laid out my complaint, I should not finish without providing you with an idea of what it is that I stand for, not only what I stand against. In the critique of liberal society, critical theorists are cynically sceptical of claims of objectivity, ideas of merit and excellence, equality under the law, freedom and beauty. These are complicated ideas, and I'm learning about them all the time, and will make and evolve my defence for them in due course as we explore this phenomenon together. These are the values on which we have built our civilization, imperfect though it may be, but this leaves us with room for improvement and something for everyone to do. The values of truth, liberty, merit and beauty I believe are necessary for any civilization of people to solve their problems regardless of the complexity, and that these are the values that we must defend and embody to demonstrate their worth in the face of those that would see them dispensed with people we need to get off of each other's backs and stop giving everyone a hard time simply for being alive. If we do not then we cannot have a mentally healthy population who are capable of solving the complex and serious problems that we have. It is crucial that we do this and I want to thank anyone who has taken the time to listen and I look forward to diving further into this topic over the coming months and years or until we succeed and then I want to take up woodwork so thank
0: you. Okay. First question. Shoot. Sure. So, take the assumption that you're right. Critical theories are wrong about their uh, the way to solve social uh injustice a quick quick correction correction sorry
1: they're wrong about their assessment of the problem and so their solutions can't map onto the reality okay.
0: they're wrong about the their uh assessment of the problem of social injustice so they can't be correct about the solution mm-hmm. are you saying it's a deliberate uh misassessment or are you, do you just think mm-hmm. they're wrong they just they just miscalculated their um
1: it's not a deliberate misassessment but it there is there is some kind of a refusal to consider that their underlying assumptions are false So their view of how the world's organised, right? That it's uh, that the main, I guess, motivating factor is uh, power. That uh, groups are constantly warring. You good? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, Yeah, the groups are constantly warring between each other for access to power and privilege, right? And that that is the and that the justifications by either side, whoever's in the superior position, uh, then make up the organizing principles of whatever society that you're in. Right? They don't seem to want to acknowledge that they might be a little bit wrong about that. And so all of their conclusions and theorizing and um, prescriptions following are built on top of those uh, well frankly like unquestionable assumptions so it's not like I don't, it's not intentional but they don't take criticism from outside of critical theory they only take criticism about critical theory from people who have already given assent to the underlying assumptions that they base their work on
0: and let me ask i will you, give
1: examples for this in future episodes so. okay
0: and then Are you saying that they're, the, the, the main fault is that they're... Arrogant, yes. <laughs> well, what I'm going to say is that... Is Sorry, that I will not put words in your mouth. They're, by, by, by like... Creating this false framework that they're claiming that we all have to operate in. They're... Eliminating or preventing progress, real progress in social justice, or is it that they're additionally they're causing some other harm in society by propagating this framework?
1: Well, you here's here's how I've been thinking about this, right? And and look, and t- to be clear, right? I'm, I know i I'm sat here and I'm being quite critical and maybe a little harsh at some points. Right. But these aren't, um, I'm not coming at this from the position of, oh, I've just suddenly woken up to this as a phenomena and I don't like it and it needs to go away. And yeah, I'm coming at this from the position that I have spent a large portion of my life with the ideas of critical theorists in my head and that I've given assent to, I have argued for, I have... Um, tried to convince people I've, insi- I've I've been insistent when people have pushed back against things that i've said and said well isn't that a little prejudicial and you go no it's not prejudicial because of the power and privilege differentials i didn't word it exactly like that but you know i still pushed back and i pushed back on the same point It's though it's self-evident the systemic racist the systemicness of the right i said that terribly systemic racism is so self-evidently obvious that right that your statistics don't justify me abandoning that conclusion right so i'm not coming at this from the position of just like solely critical of the arguments I, and and anything that i'm saying and any argument that i make against this isn't an argument that i haven't already made against myself when i've when i've been a proponent of these views in the past right so um, so one of the ways as and so, and so one of the consequences of that is is that i have not to do a, my lived experience point but um i have lived in two different worlds right and so what i'm going to say is, as, a, as perhaps a useful rubric for approaching these ideas is you have to think about the world as it's being described to you right so let's let's look let's look at an actual example right let's look at the um the black lives matter protests in America in the summer of 2020 right now many of those protests devolved into riots and many a lot of damage was done many too many lives were lost and there were many many justifications for what happened right largely arguments like it is a reasonable and understandable expression of frustration right the the You'd say, people would say, well, why, don't, why aren't you talking about it? Why, why aren't you protesting and holding up banners and, like, standing there and really making your point, right? And then people would say, well, we've been doing that. We've done that. We've done the talking. We've done the, the waiting and patience. It's frustrating, right? And the, you have to think about the world in which the people who engaged in these things, like normal people, like probably decent people, right, who engaged in this violence, engaged in this um, destruction, Right, you have to think about the world. That they think they lived in. right? Because if you believe. That the society that you live in. In its entirety. In every system. In every process. In every interaction. There is ingrained deeply. right, White supremacy. Patriarchy. Misogyny. Homophobia. If you believe that that is. The environment that you live in. And that you're surrounded by. At all points in time. Then. Then. You know, it's a little understandable if you believe that that's the world you live in, and you know, because because the alternative is, well, become complicit in your own oppression. If you believe that that's the environment that you live in, your options are, well, I go along with it. I'll keep my head down. I'll see how I get along, right? And I'll I'll try and do what I need to do to get by. And but then but then you have to if, if given that that's the you believe that that's the world you live in, you have to betray yourself to conclude that. You have to become complicit in your own oppression. All the alternative is, I'm sick of doing that, and I'm going to push back. I'm going to push back because I'm angry. Because I genuinely believe that the world I live in is systemically skewed against me. So you can understand, right, the the mindset that people can wind up in. And, and, the, and that is... That is where there was a little bit of intentionality behind it, because people like, well, even 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 Lenin said this. I, I I watched a I listened to a very short clip of Bertram Russell talking about a meeting he had with Lenin, um, and he right at the end he recalls how Lenin said, oh, sorry," uh, Bertram Russell was recalling his distaste for. Um, lenin's malice and he, he tells the story of how lenin was essentially bragging that he'd um, riled up the poor peasants against the wealthy peasants until the wealthy peasants were hanging from trees right so he was he was taking a perhaps a, a grievance that the poor poorer peasants had mm-hmm. against the wealthier peasants emphasizing it right highlighting it stressing it Right until the peasants were riled up into a, 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 fu- a murderous fury and hung them from trees. Right, and and then there are people like Herbert Marcuse in the nineteen sixties and seventies in an essay uh, called an essay on liberation, where he is frustrated with the working class because, um, well, because uh, because the rough edges of um, uh, the free market which certainly were rough, right, at some points, right, because, right? you know, it'd be like you didn't have uh, laws around how many hours you could work uh, on wages or say any safety nets, you know, it was dangerous, people lost limbs, right, it wasn't it wasn't exactly a really happy time for everybody, right, but once some of those had been sorted out, right, you had a- antitrust and anti-monopoly laws, you had safety nets so people weren't just falling out of the bottom, right? You had minimum wage laws. I know there's an argument against those, but let's just leave it as that, right? You had all of these, These, you know, the rough edges were softened down. And so many of the working class were like, okay, cool, thanks. It's kind of what we wanted, right? Quite happy to work, don't mind it, right? But just, you know, don't want to just be dying and be really taken advantage of all the time. And so many of the working class stopped being revolutionary. And Herbert Marcuse, was really pissed off with them for it, because he wanted them to be revolutionary. And so, in this essay, which we we will we will go we will um, go through this on one of the episodes, um, he talks about how the proletariat, the 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 sorry, the working class, or the wrong proletariat, proletariat being um, Marx's oppressed class. Right. The bourgeoisie is the oppressor. The proletariat is the oppressed class. That the the working class were the wrong proletariat. Though what what needed to be done was to direct their attentions, and these are this is, these are his words, to the ghetto population and to the sexual minorities. Right. So there's a, there's a there's a, a, a tangible shift again towards the social and the cultural away from the economic. Right. And with the intention of because because yeah, again you yeah, like the world that they think that they, they live in is is the western liberal civilization itself is what is oppressive and tyrannical right and they genuinely believe that the only way to improve people's quality of life is to liberate them from that civilization you know because they don't because if, if you believe that that's the case you you aren't going to invest all of your time in just kind of improving things a little bit here and there because you're still ultimately faced with the problem of the fact of societal tyranny and oppression and so, to really solve the problem, what you have to do is get rid of the the society that's tyrannical and oppressive. And so, given that that's the thing that they want to have happen, and the working class stop being useful, they have to go after a new revolutionary force, right? And so, they need a revolutionary force. So they don't, or they also don't mind exaggerating the contradictions in society, like the what, like the um, the unequal outcomes. They don't mind emphasizing them and exaggerating them and pointing them out and saying look look it's unequal it's unfair and you want to know whose fault it is these guys so that's that's where the internet the intentionality comes comes into it
0: and you're saying they do that because they want their point to be correct
1: no because they think they are correct and they think that that's how they're going to arrive at um the dissolution of the society that they think is oppressive
0: so the so you're saying but you're still saying that the ultimate goal is the is the uh dissolution of the unequal outcomes uh, as
1: a, as an ultimate ideal because the because the ultimate ideal um. I'm going to do a very poor job of this, so do excuse me. The ultimate ideal, so Marx, Marx had his, his view of history was I think it was six or seven stages of history. It was from from slave-based societies to feudal-based societies to aristocratic-based societies to capitalist-based societies to socialist-based societies, finally fin- finishing up at communist societies. Right. So the so the communist society would and can only be achieved at the point where those unequal outcomes disappear right where there's there are no classes anymore because once the once the uh the capitalist, because that's the stage we're in at the moment society has been overthrown and a dictatorship of the whichever proletariat is being used for this purposes um will then uh, uh instantiate the socialist era where um where people will be coerced and or forced and/or disposed of, which is what usually happens in order to to bring it about such that everybody in the society is on the same page, right, about the inappropriateness of uh, inequality in any of its forms. Right to the point where there are like so you enforce the st- the situation of fairness and you enforce it until it becomes habitual and then at the point that it becomes habitual the need for the state to f- enforce it disappears and the so and so the state disappears and because it's been enforced and it's become habituated there are no classes and so the classes dissolve the state dissolves and you've arrived at the at justice arrived at justice mm. and so so that's what's what's being aimed only it's not again economic it's social and cultural mm. I'm not sure if i answered the entirety of your question though. I think I, I got distracted whilst I was doing that a little bit does that Answer your question.
0: Um yeah, I mean I guess what I really just wanted to to, to get at the main thing was mm-hmm. do you think to the core of it there's something malicious behind it or is it really just they're wrong? I don't want to speak
1: generally about all of the people involved. But, but I mean, this. the no, core foundation. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, look, it's it's covetous, right? Like, it's... It's... It's, uh, it's the... The desire to have what one does not have, which is unreasonable. Right? You don't have something, right? Look, like it's, like, of course. i just, like, I'm not but it's it emphasises that and uses that as the basis of societal organisation right and there's also and again I, I, I I've been listening I yeah I'll, I'll do this now there is um. firstly don't listen to me about any of this anyone right just don't because um there are they will just tell you this if you go and read their work which I'll, i'm going to read it to you right parts of it but go and read critical theorists right they will just tell you exactly what it is that what what the, that they want and what they're doing and how they're going to go about doing it and there are also better better men and women than i who do a much better job of detailing this um they are people like james Lindsay. um he has a podcast uh called New Discourses, Helen Pluckrose, Peter Boghossian, Douglas Murray and many many others Um, so don't take my word for this go and go and explore this yourself and and we're going to do it here also Um, the reason why I said that sorry was James Lindsay I was listening to one of his podcast episodes the other day and he's talking about um, Paolo Ferreri's Uh, turning education philosophy into uh, Marxist education philosophy. Um, and he talks about a sense of entitlement that people like Rousseau and Marx had, right that they it was it was it's man's birthright to be in the utopia, right And I'm not saying that the people who generally go along with the arguments contemporarily or today, or even 50, 60 years ago, right are familiar with that or aware that that's the case whether they find the arguments convincing for whatever reason i don't know but like you asked at the core like because these these are these ideas I, I like i said the last 60 years but these these ideas you can trace them back to like the early nineteen nineteen hundreds, 1900s like with the frankfurt school right and then you had people like marx in the 1800s and then hegel in the 1700s and then I think Rousseau at a similar time or before. Dates aren't amazing. Sorry, right? So, but so you ask for like at the core, there is definitely a sense of entitlement about it being human beings' birthright to to not be in a situation of inequality or inequity. So I, I don't. I'm not. Are there malicious actors in this? Yeah, of course. Of course there are. The human beings are crying out loud. Right? They're just as capable of malice as anybody else's, And, you know, they're just as capable of being tempted by gameable opportunities to be taken advantage of as any other person might be. Right? So I don't don't want to just generalize and demonize critical theorists because I'm I'm sure there are many, many, many well-intentioned people who... Oh, and these look these people aren't stupid right they're they're highly capable intellectual types right so I and I, I I struggle to to know whether or not they're fully aware of the context you know like like I just said like this sense of entitlement that people like Marx and Rousseau have I don't know how aware people who are proponents of critical theory are of those elements of you know the arguments that are in the, uh, theories that they're that they're defending and and being proponents for. Um, so I don't want I don't want to label it entirely malicious. Certainly there can be, but there's certainly arrogance. There's certainly an unwillingness to to consider well I guess I guess I guess it's because it's it's like this this self-evident knowledge of the systems of oppression or the reality of that is it's like it's like they've arrived at ultimate knowledge right that is what reality is like to to them to the people who make these arguments that is what reality is like there is because there's there's no it's like it's like having landed on bedrock right or maybe that's the wrong, wrong metaphor but it's solid to them it's self-evident and solid and unquestionable so there's certainly the unwillingness to consider that that just might not be the case but again i don't want to associate that with malice
0: okay um i think i have really one more question that's kind of a broad one um and then that's kind of it. Sure. Go for it. Um, and this might be a hard question to answer, but I think we should ask it because yeah, even definitely. though I don't care about it, other people might. Mm-hmm. Um, do you worry at all that You know, us. You know, me being white, male, straight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, whatever the other categories are. You you know, although you're biracial, you're also a male, straight. You know, um, uh, again, whatever the yeah, yeah, yeah. the categories are. That there's a... I, Danger, or that you know, in talking about things is like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, racial equality, you know, sexual equality, homophobic equality, where you know, we kind of tend to belong to the quote unquote like favored groups. Mm-hmm. That one, um, it's not really our place to be talking about, you know, how to improve the lives of these other groups, and two, uh, if we're missing something by being members of the quote-unquote favored groups. Do I worry about that?
1: Yeah. Uh, No. Um, Because... And I know this isn't this isn't your point, but um, the idea that I might be missing something because I'm not a member of a particular group, um, in my opinion, um, is to make an assumption about the opinions and mind states of people who belong to particular groups. Mm-hmm. So, or you don't belong to that group, so you can't think what you think about like that. It's like what? So you're saying that if so, if I were to belong to that group, I would have to have a different series of thoughts than the ones that I do now. Mm-hmm. But that's prejudicial. That's to make an assumption about someone's mind states because of a group that they belong to. And if we're doing it with race, well, that's racially prejudicial and it's racist. Right. Right. Um, the main point is is as I said at the beginning, these are human problems. Right. I'm a human being. You're a human being. The people who are suffering in the world are human beings, right? And uh, if anyone wants to say that I don't have anything to say on any of these topics because of my membership to a particular group or lack of membership to a particular group, well, and I'm sorry to be like, I guess, curt about this, but you reveal yourself as the type of person who would engage in prejudicial thinking when you make claims like that. So um I'm not claiming I'm right about everything. Right. I'm not claiming that I know how to fix the world or I can you know, I'm I'm going to be of any help to anyone in in any of this, but the the people who supposedly are on the side of the dispossessed are doing a really bad job of fixing these problems. Right. So um I, I will not.
0: doing a bad job because they're, you know. Well, misdiagnosing the problem. Well, what also I thought you were going to say because they're, you know, the prejudice that they want to be fixing and that is so rooted, they're actually perpetuating. You know, prejudice is prejudice, mm-hmm. right? So they're perpetuating the prejudice because they're just claiming to be solving the solution.
1: Yeah. What? Well, yeah. It's 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 by it's,
0: adding more prejudice.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, like I said, you add fight fire with fire. You have more fire. You don't have less of it. And you have more of it. And if fire's bad, and now you have more fire, you have a bigger problem. You don't have a smaller problem.
0: Wait. Right. So. as a side note. Yeah. No. Totally off topic. Yeah, go fire's Fire is not always bad.
1: <laughs> no. I said, I said if. Yeah. Yeah. if fire is bad right, right? but I, in, in like as a placeholder for prejudice right. right so if prejudice is bad and you add like if if identity prejudice right as a um, Miranda fricker in our philosophy class identified as an ethical poison right if identity prejudice is an ethical poison and then you have more of it you don't have less ethical poison not you not. have more ethical poison. So regardless of the direction in which it's pointed and then if you want to try and justify or rationalize that it's more acceptable one way than the other I don't think you can do so without having to rely on prejudicial claims uh, or claims about the fundamental difference between groups of people on say race or sex or whatever so I don't think you can even justify saying oh it's okay sometimes. To these groups, without itself having, without having to rely on prejudicial claims to do so. So it's a trap, right? And it's a problem, which is why why I started the warning with, like, we need to wake up to the fact that identity prejudice is something that we're all capable of, and we have to pay an inordinate amount of attention attention to our capacity for it in order for it, because because people are being convinced that it's like it that is an okay way of thinking about the problem of race relations or relations between the sexes right we have okay we have some unequal outcomes okay maybe they're because of discrimination and prejudice or maybe there's some problems still there are some proportions of our society where there's still racism and sexism happening it's like fine yeah maybe maybe and that's a problem you're right but then when they immediately turn around and say ah well the solution to this just happens to be racial sexual and whatever else prejudice and discrimination Ibram X Kendi it's like no, sorry. You don't. You don't get to say, "Oh, we have a problem with racial discrimination." How about some more of that? Yeah, sounds like a great idea. Nope.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense to me. Um. All right, so I don't have any more questions that are on the mind. I mean, I know this is just the first part of the mini series. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you know we'll we'll dive into more issues but i mean is there anything else you want to say before we call it a wrap
1: yeah i know i've said this a couple of times but We're all human beings, and it is in somebody's, I don't know who, or various people's best interests that we, as human beings, who can be categorized into a variety of different groups, it seems to be in someone's best interest that we don't all get along with each other. And we cannot allow that to happen. Cannot allow ourselves to be divided. We are all human beings. The problems that we have are all human problems. There's actually there's a there's a really interesting saying that they have over in Southeast Asia that we don't have here, and I am baffled as to why we don't have it, right? And the the reason for the saying is because well, many many people from the West, you know, they do they go on gap years or they go on holidays or you know like for me for example when i went to southeast asia that was my first time outside of europe right i hadn't left my culture before right and and that's the same for many many people and now southeast asia while westernized to certain degrees in certain places right the cultural differences are huge sometimes right and for many people what's well, quite shocking it's quite a surprise it's something to get used to Right? And some people, you know, because you've become accustomed, right? I know everyone should say, oh, we should be open to people's different cultures. And it's like, yeah, well, if you haven't practiced doing that, that's going to be quite hard, right? And so some people turn up and it's hard. It's difficult for them to get their head around some of these cultural changes, right? And then they have a saying to help people, right? So when you're confronted with a different cultural practice, be it around mealtimes, be it around prayer, be it around whatever, right? They have this saying... And it goes, same, same, but different. Right? So you're confronted with, say, a, a practice around the dinner table. And, you know, you're like, oh, this is, this is oh, you may, may look a little uncomfortable. You may not know what to do. You know, or you may be questioning some things. Or And they say, no, it's okay, because you have one of these. You have a mealtime ritual. You have a religious practice. You have a family. You have X, Y, and Z, right? You do these things too. It's the same. It's just a little different, right? Same, same, but different. They have it on T-shirts. They have it. It's all over the place, right? You can't go anywhere without hearing "same, same, but different," right? And it's it's beautiful. I'm like, it's a really, really good sound, and we don't have it here, right? They're here in the West, where we're supposed to be this pluralist, like, what, what is it? E, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. Right, where we all come together. From wherever it is we come from, under one, under one, under one banner, under one goal, right, and it's we're the same, but a little different, you know. And and I, you know, I, we could I think we could do with a little more of that, and not forget that. You know, white people are humans too men are humans too black people are humans too women are humans too gay people are humans too all these people are humans they have families they have children they have dogs they go to bed they dream they have nightmares they get scared sometimes right see these 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 are the arguments i i remember when i was a, a, a boy being like in the 90s early early 2000s being made because you know that like this this like i said to you earlier we've spent 60 years like just with a laser focus on this right so uh, these conversations were happening around me and not just in my family um but in my family you know uh, those those arguments that i've just made you know they're human beings they have dreams they have families they have a you know the the, uh, to me these were the successful arguments of the civil rights era right because you would you would have all of these differences of treatment and You would say to someone Well hey That's a That's a human being That you're treating In this way that you're treating You know That's a That's a human being Like that's The same kind of animal As your son is It's the same kind of animal As your wife is Would you want your son Or your wife To be treated in the way That you're treating That human being That's a really hard argument To argue with Right Right And you could do it Right Because there's cognitive dissonance And it's hard You know And people push back And are resistant right but like those kind of arguments are really hard to argue with right and you can you can look to examples of um oh what's this guy's name i can't believe i've forgotten it he was on uh joe rogan's podcast he uh is the guy i believe blues or jazz musician he'd spoken to like over like and gotten over 200 klansmen to just quit being in the the ku klux klan right just through comp just through this guy's black and just through conversation right just through this just demonstrating right that that whole just because they have their prejudices and presumptions and then you just give them something solid in front of them that just destroys them and then those things are really hard to argue with sorry i'm rambling but my my point is i don't hear those arguments anymore I don't know if you have. I don't know if any of the listeners have. But I don't hear those arguments anymore. But that's a human being. That's a person with a family, with a mother, with a son, who dreams, who eats, and who sleeps, just like you do. So what are we doing?
0: And I'll, um, I'll leave that there. Yeah. Um. Just the logistical thing. Do you want to release a copy of the speech you gave on that webso- the episode description so that people can... Read it? Yeah, sure. Read it? Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll do that. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for your questions, Ethan. I really appreciate that. Um, Happy to to be that role. Um, I found it very interesting, too. Thank you for the no, that's, speech.
1: No, that's all right. Um, uh, we... Um, one more logistical thing. We aren't necessarily going to be doing this mini series consecutively like that we're gonna okay. um, we're gonna mix it up with just other general conversations we've been having we're also gonna try and get some some guests some on some guests that would, be, um, that would be great some students if you're a student at the university and you're listening we'd love to we'd like one of the things we want to do is have students on and just talk to us about your hey, experience if you're a
0: professor at the university yes, and you want to come on that would be you know fantastic too exactly um, and even if you're you know random Joe on the street and <laughs> you want to be a guest you know. no non-random Joes though just just random Joes just random Joes yeah uh, so yeah have we arrived? we have arrived excellent well thank you everyone for listening um,
1: we really really appreciate it um, and we'll catch you next
0: time take care of yourselves yep bye bye